Under a minute remaining. Pacers clinging to a five-point lead. Halliburton tries another three. Bang! Tyrese Halliburton from downtown! Timeout boxes an eight-point lead. What is up, Pacers Nation? You are listening to the Pacers Post-Up, brought to you by the brothers of basketball, Brad and Ryan. What a shot. What a game. What a run for Tyrese Halliburton and the Indiana Pacers. We are talking all things NBA in-season tournament, from the knockout round against Boston to the trip out to Vegas, the Bucks, the Lakers, the TNT ESPN crossover coverage. You name it, we've got it. And we're going to be breaking it down here over the next hour or so. So stay tuned. Be sure to check us out on all of our social media channels for exclusive Pacers content. You're listening to The Pacers Post-Up. All right. We are here today to discuss the in-season tournament. Uh, Ryan and I just returned from Las Vegas last week uh, after quite an interesting and fun experience. So really, we just want to dive in and talk about kind of all the details of the trip. Obviously, the first time going through all this, um, really want to kind of dissect the Boston game, the Bucks game, how things went in the championship, overall experience, etc. So um, without further ado, Ryan, you want to kind of dive into it. Yeah, so uh, obviously there is a ton to talk about in the in-season tournament. But Brad, I'd like to know, what are just your early thoughts on it? Well, I'll tell you what. We were at the first game. Um, you know, obviously the court's a little bit of a shocker to see. It was almost kind of like watching a video game. The players going across the the blue surface, um, and we were kind of seated at the baseline on that game. So I think if, if I'm going to summarize it um, in a couple of words or phrases, it, it worked. I think the NBA should should pat themselves on the back. This was a risk, and I think it paid off. Certainly for the Pacers, it paid off in droves, but for the league in general to create meaningful games in November and December, um, there were some misses here or there. But, but as a fan, I think it was phenomenal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I would say, uh, I think when it was first came out, there was, and I was probably part of this group, everybody was a little skeptical. An in-season tournament, are the players going to care? Uh and truthfully, that was what was kind of awesome. One of the points I wanted to hit on, one of my favorite things is, and this isn't even just associated with Vegas, but it was really fun on the NBA to have two nights, you know, Tuesdays and Fridays when they played these games where if they were healthy, everybody was playing. I mean, we had a Bucks game this year where Damian Lillard sat. It's obviously a frustration across the league. So they created an atmosphere where, you know, Friday night you'd come back and you'd look and, you know, if the Suns were playing the Celtics or something, you knew whoever could play would play. So I think it had, it drawed some attention there, got players playing. And obviously, I mean, we got to go to Vegas and have an awesome trip, which we will dive into. Yeah, I, 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 you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I think that's what they were trying to accomplish. Some some local radio folks here in Indianapolis, and I'm going to forget his name, brought one of the guys who was kind of the head behind all of this. And, um, you know, if I can clean it up, I'll put his name in the notes or something like that. But it was, it was really interesting to hear him talk about it and talk about how long this has been in the works, like more than a couple of years. This is like 10 years in the making for the NBA trying to pull something like this off and have it look different feel different. The players, like you said, were going to play. You could tell, you know, for all the home games, we were there, or at least I was there. I, I don't want to speak for you. I think you were at most. Um, 
watched all the away games. I mean, that Atlanta game just sticks out in my mm-hmm. mind as one of the most fun. It was like they couldn't miss down the stretch. Sure. Uh, you know, fireworks galore. So it was absolutely a success and capped off by a really cool experience in Vegas. Um, so I think we should probably kind of you know dive in here and talk about how we got to Vegas, what yep. what allowed us <laughs> to get there, which was kind of a cool story, and then yeah, just sort of the experience there for the first run at this at this you know championship on a neutral site. Yeah, so I think the first thing to hit on is how we made it to Vegas. Well, is uh, first beating all the top teams in the East, really. So, you know, in our group, we had the 76ers, we had the Cavs, and uh, we, we beat both of them and then went on to beat Boston. I think that's kind of the game we want to jump in on, I assume, because we we're both in the building. And I was going to ask you, Brad, uh, which, I mean, of a regular season game, where does this rank of one of your favorites being in that Boston arena? So, so anytime it's, you know, Boston's the number one seed in the East right now. So anytime you get a number one seed in your building, I think it has a little bit of a different feel. Um, but but this took it to another level. I, I, I would I would, I would tell you some of the players, I think Miles said, you know, it's the best the building sounded in four yeah. or five years. He, you know, I, I would agree with him and, and say, you know, for for me, it's really all about how are you feeling. I mean, you're sitting in your seat, but you're literally jumping out of your seat every play in that yep. fourth quarter. Um, and and to have you know some of the back and forth that you had. Jason Tatum did have a good run there in the mm-hmm. fourth. He was hitting a lot of jumpers. Just felt like you know getting to the foul line, things like that. And to see us, I guess two things. You know, we've. Our offense, you know, we've we've seen all the accolades. I think they ran through them, you know, this last week. Number one in pace, number one in, you know, points scored, et cetera. I mean, number one in a million different things. It was really our defense that got the crowd involved. Getting those playoff type, you know, stops when you needed them is what made the the, the roof blow off. And we got a we got a turnover towards the end that kind of led to a fast break dunk by Neesmith, and that really sort of felt like it was. It wasn't quite over. We had some free throws to hit, but but that blew the lid off the building, and and you could see the the bench you know ex- exploded onto the floor, and Boston hit the quick timeout. Um, it was awesome. I, I I think it looked different, felt different, and to have that kind of action, you know, on December. Yeah, whatever it was, fifth uh, was pretty cool. I I I, w- I I mean, we were there together. I would assume you felt the same. Yeah, you know, and one thing I can say on that, you know, being, you know, of one concern, I guess, of having the top offense in the league is when you get into the playoffs, the game always slows down and you get a lot more isolation ball. We saw that a lot with Tatum and Brown, who were just basically isoing, whether it was Neesmith, Buddy, whoever was drawing that assignment. And so one of my fears is when that game slows down, are we going to be able to still produce the offense we have? And then obviously the thing you hear everywhere is, are we going to be able to defend? And you know, Neesmith really battled Tatum at the end of that game. I was really impressed. Tatum's going to get his, same did, or so did Brown. But you could really just tell, and even just throughout the tournament, uh, just when it slowed down, we had a little bit more of that. And Maybe this is even a, a comment on maybe our team defense needs a little bit more work because I was actually kind of impressed, I mean, as impressed as we can be with this team defensively, just on some of those isolation heavy or just man-on-man where it's we got to lock up this possession, and it was good to see it against a team who could expose our weaknesses, which I know we'll get into when we get into the Lakers game when we talk about 
size and stuff like that. But it was awesome to see just how we could handle that. And then, you know, it's just cool to be in the arena. You know, I was saying, trying to think back, some of my favorite games regular season-wise that stood out. And the two I wrote down was Lance Stevens' return for obvious reasons. And then the other one was Vic's return. So they both had people coming back uh which were fun, but this was a totally different atmosphere. I love the towels. Kind of felt like we were at a Steelers game, which was awesome. (laughs) But it added a little effect. You know, we were in the building for the gold swagger days and, and all that. So it's the first time in recent memory where we had anything like that. So the building was juiced. We were, I mean, pumped. We were obviously, you know, after the game, we were sitting up in the in the nosebleeds, legitimately looking up flights for Vegas because we had not booked anything yet. So it was definitely unique. At least we were lucky enough to be able to kind of have that on the back burner and know we were going. So if we want to, Brad, that might be a good time. Oh, you want to jump in? Yeah, just one quick thing because you kind of hit on something that I think is is worth mentioning. You know, the, the way that you kind of know or at least what I enjoyed about the building was you knew it's Boston. So there's Celtics fans in the arena. You did not really feel that. Um, I felt like it was a really good showing by our fan base. I've been to far too many games where, whether it's the Lakers or the Knicks or the Nets or, you know, insert team that's in a big market, uh, Bulls is one, where you hear that contingent in the crowd, and that really was not there um, at that Celtics game. And I think that speaks to where this team is at and, and where this fan base is at. You know, and we can talk about this in the context of Vegas, but, you know, we it was a sell out for the viewing party for the championship Mm -hmm. at the IST. So we'll touch on some of that. And I do think, yeah, I mean, that was so fun. We're we're literally watching the win. And the first thing we do, we have an usher come up to our seat and said, hey, move along because we're looking at flights and trying to book stuff for Vegas. So um, I know you had kind of a fun route to getting there. I don't know if you want to share how that you were able to pull that off. So uh, yeah, didn't quite have the funds to make the Vegas trip work, but was able to put kind of a hedge bet in. So Basically, on the Boston game, I put a couple hundred dollars down on us money line in order to fund that trip and then double down uh, on the Bucks game to continue the funds. So it was kind of unique to actually be gambling on a trip because if it hits, I've got the money to go. If it doesn't, we're staying in Indy. So obviously it turned out great. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. And it was and we booked it open ended. I think that's worth mentioning. We we booked a one way ticket out, uh, not knowing exactly how it was going to go out. So I think yeah, let's let's kind of dive into Vegas and what that was set up like. I think you know it was really cool for me. Um, I I I have been very fortunate to I guess fortunate or unfortunate depending upon how you look at. It. I've been to Vegas a lot in my life for a variety of reasons, and one of the first things that I noticed, you know, that felt different about this trip was we're driving down the strip. Our our flight landed late. I can't remember what time it was. Vegas time, maybe eight or nine o'clock. It was already dark, and we were going to find a place to eat and and check out the Sphere. And it felt like every you know you know, digital billboard on all different properties, Aria, MGM, you name it, mm-hmm. was all lit up with NBA in-season tournament, you know, advertising. And they had pictures of Halliburton and Giannis, LeBron, Zion, et cetera, kind of building it up locally. Um, and Vegas has always, you know, I know the Raiders are there and that's been a recent thing. And the Knights obviously have a, a strong following. You know, they've been one of the best teams in the NHL the last couple of years, but it's, you know, it's always kind of been a, a mixed bag as far as sports fandom. You see a little bit of everything out there, yep. you know, when you're in the sports books and it was cool to see, 
you know, kind of the attention turned to the NBA. Um, I've not attended summer league, but I have to imagine it's a similar feel um, when they go out there. But it was it was obvious from the jump, so to speak, that the in season tournament was there and and they were going to do it right, which I think they did. So that was that was what jumped out to me at first. I don't know if you had a similar sentiment. You know, I could just say the thing that jumped out to me was, and I kind of told you this while we were there, I had a lot of fun just walking around and, you know, you'd see there were more Pacer fans than I actually imagined being down there at the time. And this is something that maybe a larger team like the Lakers, you know, if you're walking down the street and see a Lakers fan, you're probably not going to stop. But, I mean, we probably talk to every single Pacer fan we passed, or at least we're fist bumping or, you know, talk about, did you come in? Yeah, when are you leaving? We don't know yet. You know, it was a lot (laughs) of that. And it was like, let's just keep winning. So that's kind of unique where, you know, you go somewhere and then you've got a small group of people who are all, you know, combining. And truthfully, Vegas, like I said, I think this is, at least in my head, the first real NBA event, you know, the summer league's kind of its own thing so to kind of have the energy you know i i love vegas so i think they did a killer job and we're going to kind of talk about here i think just kind of that experience outside the stadium and then start hitting on the games unless you had something else no i i think that that's a perfect spot to kind of dive into so so we got there on wednesday night late like i said and then woke up and it was kind of interesting and this is something that i guess if if i want to if i want to nitpick it was interesting to have a a two o'clock tip off for that first game. Obviously, it was a Thursday, so it's the middle of the day in Vegas, two two p.m. A lot of people probably still working, etc. Five p.m. Eastern, and it was the Eastern semi, you know, uh, Pacers Bucks to kick it off. So I thought that was for the for the national attention and for the local resident sure. appeal i think that was a bit of a miss mm-hmm. for us it was great Be- I, I was literally gonna say for us it worked out perfect i had friends at home who i'm like texting be like hey check out the tv because their tnt crews and espn crews were all there and we were kind of hanging out in the back and it was just like well i'm not home from work yet and it's like i i get it i mean the coverage would have started at four here yeah. So I think from what I've heard just in the media, that will probably be changed there. I know that, I mean, obviously this was kind of their first attempt at all this, so nobody's going to get everything perfect. But my gut tells me there's a few changes probably coming with the yeah. IST, whether it's maybe even a playoff bid if you win or something like that. Yeah, but I've I think seen some of that already. The timing of the games, yeah, especially when you get two East Coast teams, it's just yeah, it didn't totally make sense. But it was awesome for us because we didn't really have that awkward period where we are just kind of waiting for it because it's whole trip we kind of booked around was this so we got to go right there and then you know the whole area they had set out there was really cool if you want to go in and kind of describe everything they had set up yeah i think the the coolest thing for me is when so you when you walked over there i was there in the morning walking by just to kind of check it out and they had it all sort of fenced off security wise so the only fans that they were letting into this in-season tournament experience area, which was all set up right outside T-Mobile Arena, excuse me. It was for fans only, or excuse me, ticket holders only. So you had to have, you had to be media personnel, team personnel, or a ticket holder to go in this area. So it wasn't, and the the beauty of it was, it was not overcrowded. You were able to go in and check out all the different things that they had, um, you know, from merch to the, the, you know, the ESPN and TNT crews both being set up there side yeah. by side was really cool because you saw the personalities coming in and out, able to get pictures. They were interacting with the crowd, which I thought was cool. And then they had the big stage area set up that, you know, kind of served as sort of the, you know, the pregame entertainment, if you will. I guess it was 
it was pregame to the second game. Yep. It wasn't going on while we were there. But they had they had different, you know, they had bars set up. They had this NBA ID through the NBA events pass type thing where it was like this kind of contest where you could go earn free spins to get ticket upgrades, free merchandise, whatever, whatever. But it wasn't overcrowded. That was the beauty of it. Sometimes I feel like I've been to sporting events where you know, you're trying to be involved with the with the outside festivities, if you will, but it's like, you know, Sardine Central. So I felt like it was really well done and you were able to get the full experience. Um, you know, I, 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 I was a huge fan of it. Yeah, we got, and then we got, you know, we got pulled over, asked to be on television, yep. you know, which was kind of cool from an ESPN perspective. So I don't know if you have anything to add, but I, I thought it was, it was really nice to have it kind of exclusive for those of us going to the game. Yeah, definitely. I'm not a huge crowd person in that sense. Where so when you were standing behind, if you watch any of the broadcasts, they kind of pan over the crowd. It's not like you were fighting people to get spots. Everybody had a little room, could breathe, and it made it nice for all the things, the hoops they had set up, and the little games they could do. You know, that's not typically our personal style, but it was still just kind of a cool energy thing. And I think definitely the coolest part was having ESPN and TNT there. Yeah. Um, sure. interacting I don't I think that's one of the first times I know ESPN's doing a lot of new stuff now and a lot of going through a lot of changes but I think that's the first time they got there so when we get there we're about an hour and a half before tip so they're setting everything up and Stephen A's coming out and you kind of I would say get like a 15 minute second interaction because they're you know they like to have fun and then so we go in we listen to their broadcasts and then when we come out of the game it's TNT and they're interviewing Tyrese so it's just yeah. cool to kind of you get both sides of it and they're kind of throwing and so one of the things I wanted to float to you was, you know, the Pacers obviously got to do a lot more media that they're used to. So I wanted to see what maybe was one of your uh, favorite moments there. A couple favorite. Well, I, I, the one that sticks out to me, and I hope everybody that's a Pacers fan got to see this, is, you know, Miles, Miles is kind of an eclectic individual. And he had a couple of sound bites. But the one that stuck out to me is, you know, we don't have a lot of Hollywood guys in this locker room. That's what he said. And you can see Tyrese is kind of cheesing. He's giving him a little bit of a grin as as my and, and Miles' point in saying that was he feels like we're a reflection, that team is a reflection of the city that we're in, yeah. right? That they're that they're a reflection of Indianapolis, blue collar, hard workers, uh, which I think is spot on. But, you know, the soundbite is Tyrese goes, Not a lot of Hollywood guys coming from a guy yeah. <laughs> wearing a suit with no shirt. So I, I did enjoy that. And unfortunately, you know that was a that was a post Bucks game soundbite, and yep. so you know Hollywood stuck it to us a little bit after that. But but yep. that was probably one of my favorites. Um, you know there was some stuff on TNT too. I don't know. I, I mean what it, what would, for you? What did you like um, throughout that that experience? I love listening to Miles. So the other Miles one we have to point out is he. Uh, he doesn't play with Legos. He builds Legos, which was just a top-tier Miles moment. Uh, and I think he loved to talk about it. He even doubled down, I think, on Instagram to date. Uh, we're actually recording this on the 14th of December. But uh, he doubled down and showed his his wall. He's got, like, the Titanic, the Death Star, all these things. And he's talking about building. He does, like, 120,000 pieces since the season started. So wow. you get to kind of see his unique. But then a couple other ones that I thought were funny. Uh, Shaq is obviously always hilarious and was interviewing Tyrese after the game on the TNT set and accidentally called him Trey Young. And he was saying uh, his excuse was the damn cannabis behind him out <laughs> yeah. in Vegas. Uh, it, it was there. Oh, yeah. it, it was it was in the air. You could smell it. Um, and and not not to pick on Shaq, but man, when they threw him up on the jumbotron on Saturday, it looked like he was a full 
participant in the uh, cannabis yeah. Oh, yeah. in the cannabis uh, during the championship game. There was one other one that I really liked. They and this just speaks to some of the fun with the ESPN and TNT crossover. And and you saw some of it before, actually before the East semifinal, before our Pacers you know game on Thursday. Ernie had come over to the ESPN booth, and they were the ones kicking off the ESPN. That is, was the ones kicking off the the the, the coverage. Um, but they had some crossover live after the game and they were talking about the Pacers and just how and I'm saying this because it's something I want to touch on here later saying how oh you know Tyrese is this is his coming out party he's trying to recruit guys to Indiana and and Chuck was talking to Stephen A on the kind of crossover coverage and said you know, he, he he just got an update from Woj or somebody that James Harden wants to be traded to Indiana. Uh, Tyrese is so good now that he wants to make it over to Indiana, which obviously is a joke, and I wouldn't want him maybe even if he did want to come no to chance. Indiana. Um, but but it's kind of a little subtle jab. And that was some of the fun, just the, the crews going back and forth. It's obviously people you see all the time, and I'm probably a little partial to the TNT guys. I think most people are. Yeah, but but Stephen A you know, does, a, does a solid job, and we Wilbon was there. Um, Who else did they have? Woj was there for a little bit. And then was it Bob Myers? Yeah, Yeah, former Warriors GM that's now on the ESPN broadcast. um, Doing a good job for him in that role, I think. So, yeah, yeah, it was – they – I'll say this. Like I like I said at the beginning, I felt like they did it right. It felt different. It was a really unique experience and one that I think from a fan perspective – I would certainly want to go back. It, it would have me wanting to come back and kind of taste that again. E- frankly, even if it wasn't the Pacers that were there, it was it was cool enough for me as an NBA fan to say, yeah, I could I could make this a trip, you know, uh, on a, on an annual basis. So, um, anything else to add before we kind of get into the to the game itself? Because I know there's a lot to unpack there. The only thing I would say is just I thought it was a lot of fun to be part of the media, actually have our team. I think it's a little overblown here in Indy. You know, the thing is nobody talks about about us in the national media when the truth is they're only talking about the Lakers, the Knicks, the Heat, those teams anyway. So if you're not yeah. in the finite bubble, you're not getting talked about anyway. So it was just kind of cool, and I think we've got a lot of unique personalities who kind of gotten – you know, Tyrese was on the KG podcast. Miles was doing a lot of interviews. Yeah. You know, it was just cool to see our guys kind of get. And I think they enjoyed that and, uh, you know, getting some time in the media and just, you know, showing off personalities and having fun. But, uh, yeah, let's definitely get into this Bucks game, I'd assume. Uh, let's talk about first just uh, the difference in atmospheres uh, from, you could even say, the Boston game or the Laker game compared to this one because uh, – the vibe in the building was very quiet. Yeah, it was you and we the first game so the semifinal game again remember we bought our tickets basically the night after we beat Boston. And so we were late to the party and ended up getting some seats in the upper level. Um, for those that are familiar with, you know, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the the lower club and balcony, this was just a two-level arena. So we were in the upper deck, um, fine seats, but it literally felt like you could talk to the players during the game. That's that's how quiet it was. We were, you know, 
I go to a lot of Pacers games, Ryan. I know you do too. I pretty much know at about the 20-minute mark before tip, the players are going to be out on the courts. The pacemates are out doing their dance. The you know the energy in the building starts to pick up. They yeah. put the videos on the Jumbotron. This place was Deadsville. I mean, there were not people in the stands, really, by and large. Yeah. I bet it was 25% full. Yeah. Uh, you know, 10 minutes before tip-off. Um, and it was it was pretty clear that it was going to have a different feel when the game started from a fan perspective. Um, and that, I think it has to be tough for the players. I, I can't imagine getting up, you know, trying to get yourself up for a big game. Um, and then having the building be completely silent. Cause it was kind of like you hit it on. I mean, we just kept looking around being like, all right, when is this place going to start to fill up? And then all of a sudden tips going and it's like, if I if you were a heckler, this was the game for you because 100%. you could have talked to anybody in the stadium, let alone the players. I mean, I could have shouted to the other people on the other side and we could have had a full blown conversation. One of the things we thought was really funny is when we get intense, we are uh, not always the cleanest group, uh, to say the least. And so, you know, when Tyrese hits a huge three, I mean, we're getting up, let's fucking go. And yeah. there's, I mean, it's, we might as well just be screaming to ourselves, but I mean, there are people around, you know, I ex- actually expected it, you know, not doing this the first time, first game. I actually thought it'd be a pretty heavy bucks crowd going yeah. into the game. So maybe a little more back and forth yeah. with the fans. And yeah. I, I expected there just to be more people in general. And honestly, I don't even think it's a hate on the game. It was kind of a unique fun experience to kind of be part of it because i'm sure especially if you sat lower you could have really you know heard the coaches yeah if we had had the same so the seats we had for the championship game were lower level about 12 rows up and i I would say yeah if we had had those seats in the first game we would have been talking to the players i mean the, the the you know and and I don't want to make it sound like we're obnoxious. I don't think we are. There were not kids around us. You always got to be on the lookout mm-hmm. for that. But the people behind us, I think, were they they did move at yeah. one point. <laughs> uh, we were we were very passionate about the Pacers' level of play. And frankly, you know, I actually I heard a soundbite from Aaron Neesmith on one of the local guys. I think it was may have been JMV's show here in Indy, but he was talking to Aaron or, or whoever it was was talking to Aaron and and asked him about it because there were reports after Thursday when they were when they were doing the coverage on Friday that, hey, it was a little bit of a quiet arena. And Aaron said, you know, you just have to you got to kind of create that energy within yourself. Obviously, it's the to 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 date on the game day, it was the most important game of the season. Um, And you know, some of the you know, if we kind of dive into the game, set aside the the, that you know the fan experience being a little awkward, it got better as the game went along for for sure. sure. Um, But what what stood out to me really more than anything was some of what we were talking about from a from a defensive perspective. Um, we were able to get stops again, and and I, I that's coming to mind because I'm mentioning Neesmith. I felt like he really did a good job wearing on Giannis. Um, it wasn't just him. We. We've employed an approach with throwing a lot of different bodies at him and this, that, and the other. And Ryan already told you we're recording this on the 14th. So, um, you know, he just went off for 64. Yeah, he, he did. And, and, and that was unfortunate. But, but we've uh, got his ball. Yeah, we, we, we've got his game ball. Actually, I think it came out, just an aside, that we actually took the alternate game ball. So the ball he was chasing down was, in fact, the wrong ball. And his security guard actually had the official game ball. So whatever, but you know, going back to the Vegas deal, we were able to 
stymie them enough. There were there were moments that third quarter, obviously, you know, they they pretty much had their way. But yeah. um, I don't know what were you, how did you feel about the game? Because I didn't really ever feel comfortable until really the last I'm gonna say minute of that game. Well, I mean, it was kind of like the Boston game where it was just kind of a grunt fight where each team was. Taking a hit. I mean, we went into half. We, you know, we never feel comfortable as a lead. I think as uh, as fans, we are always ones who think uh, it's going to go as bad as possible. But we took it, and they came out and hit us hard. And you know, we were going into that fourth, and we were just like, all right, we need we need a couple buckets. Found them where we could, and then held on. And then Tyrese did his thing. Yeah, and that was really cool. I mean, I I went back. You know, when you're in the arena and you see that play. You, you you're you're trying to pay attention to what's going on the floor, but you're so amped up and in the moment. Oh, I missed it. Um, yeah, that, that you didn't. It, it was hard to catch, you know. Yeah. And so you go back and watch the ESPN coverage, and that was all so cool because they had the crossover going. It was Mike Breen, Doris Burke from ESPN, and then Reggie Miller, obviously, you know, hometown favorite here. But um, it, it was, you know, I I don't want to make too big of a deal of this, but obviously it was, you know, he does the Dame Time celebration. And, and, you know, thinking about it, I kind of was doing some reflection afterwards and so much of this in-season tournament for Tyrese has been about his ascension yep. and, and coming out party. So Ryan, I wanted to ask you, I mean, and this, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I've, I've got the answer going into this year, obviously Tyrese signed a five-year extension. It won't kick in until next season. Yep. Uh, max extension. So he'll be 24 at the start of next year and it'll run through, he'll be 29 at mm-hmm. the end of it. So he's, he's committing the bulk of his, you know, prime, prime. basketball yeah. years to us. What do you think going into the season, Bleacher Report does their top 50 rankings. Where do you think Tyrese was on that rankings going into the season? Uh, I would have probably read this, but I definitely don't remember the exact spot. Because I want to say we probably only had one in the top 50 total. We did. It was just Tyrese. Yeah. I bet he was 26. You're close. He was 33, 33. on that list. Okay. So I went back and looked at that because I thought, you know, listen, this is there's there's a couple of things that I think are worth dissecting around Tyrese and and kind of this Boston or excuse me, yes, Boston, but Bucks game and and where we were kind of because that was really. I mean, we'll talk about the championship for sure, but yeah. you know. He goes into the season at 33. The franchise has committed to him the most money that we've ever signed a player to. You know, if you're a Pacers fan, we are almost, you know, it's like the floor is lava with the luxury tax. We've been very hesitant, even though ownership keeps saying they're not afraid to do it. We don't historically do it. Um and he was the 33rd ranked player. And I get it. There's all kinds of different rankings or whatever, but I'm just using that as a benchmark. It it was cool to see how this in-season tournament, particularly for Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, has changed the narrative. Yep. Because I went back and looked this week. Guess what he is ranked today? In the Bleacher Report? Is In the Bleacher seven. Report rankings. They updated it on like December 8th or 9th. I would bet he's at 7. He's at 5. There you go. So, so anybody that told you they saw that coming, I, I think they're probably lying to you. I mean, he's ahead of guys like Durant, Steph, um, you know, I, I can't remember. Yeah, LeBron. And I think LeBron maybe was four. So, I mean, it was Giannis, Shai. Yeah, he was ahead of LeBron. Yeah. Shea Gillis had mm-hmm. Alexander, uh, Joker. Joker, Embiid, yep. um, and and then, you know, Tyrese. So, yeah, it was – to me, it was very eye-opening because here's the challenge for, for us as a franchise. I think back to 
and I'm sorry if I'm derailing us on topic here a little bit, but you know, whether it was, you can go all the way back to Reggie. So Reggie was the combination of superstardom and actually being committed to being in Indiana. Mm-hmm. The next star we had was probably Jermaine O'Neal. Brawl kind of derailed that. He goes elsewhere. Danny Granger, he was here, but he never really reached that level of superstardom. He wasn't going to get us over the hump. Paul George, we know how that went. Obviously was here. Probably the best player we've ever had talent-wise mm-hmm. and didn't want to be here. Then we get Victor Oladipo, similar deal, didn't want to be here. The franchise took a bit of a risk. Yep. Number 33 going into the year you know, on that ranking sheet. And I'm excited that it's seemingly paying off. And I think the in-season tournament has had a big influence. I don't, I know I'm throwing a lot at, I mean, how do you agree with that? I mean, are you, do you feel the same way about where we're at now with Tyrese, given that it's literally, we're just a quarter of the way into the season? Yeah, I think you saw in a lot of the national media, you know, really talking about Tyrese, some of them probably for the first time. You heard a lot of the, you know, the term they like to say, he's now a bona fide superstar. He's that. Or people will like to throw around top 10. And truth is, it's kind of fun to look at. So I actually just went to DraftKings and pulled up just what the top 10 MVP voting odds are right now. Because I hate to be the guy who's just like, oh, he's top 10, he's top 5. And then you're like, well, okay, let's actually look at the league and see. And we've kind of already hit it, but if you look right now, he is seventh on the list in, in MVP voting behind Joker, Doncic, Embiid, Shea, Tatum, and Giannis. And I probably agree with that list. The next guys are KD, Edwards, Booker, Fox, Curry. So I think, you know, any way you swing it, it's it's tough when you get guys like LeBron and Steph where Tyrese might be playing better right now than yeah. they are yeah. on a given night basis. Although when it comes down to it, I don't know if you could really put them. But, you know, when we traded for Tyrese, you know, I was in love. I thought we could get a 20 and 10 guy. If you would have told me we were talking top 10 and I legitimately believe he is top 10 and he's only 23. And if you want to talk offensively, we can talk top five. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. It, it, it's pretty exciting, uh, you know, and it's one of those things where we kind of, you know, KG and them kind of hit on this too in their podcast. You know, it's small market and we've been duped before. I thought Vic was, he was saying all the right stuff. He was yeah. here to say, meanwhile, he's chirping with Miami boys, but you know, I kind of do believe Tyrese. I mean, he has, I mean, in front of the stand, things to say that dude is legitimately perfect. And, I mean, as lovable as could be, truly. I mean, yeah. for, for this city, too. And he seems, you know, we've got going that he's a Midwest guy. He went to Iowa State, you know, so it's... From Wisconsin. From Wisconsin, yeah. So we can hope, and it's like you said, yeah, I mean, we've got him under contract. I'd love to say that that guarantees he's here for the next five years, but we have seen that play out very differently. But, yeah. truthfully, it's on the front office. I I think if they can bring in some, and we've already got some of those pieces hopefully in the building, but if you bring in the right guys, and I know we're going to be aggressive uh, come this deadline and, you know, the offseason will have a lot of flexibility. If you can put the right pieces around him, you know, he can elevate everybody, which as we've seen, I mean, right now I keep talking about Turner's our second best offensive player, at least statistically speaking, and we have the best offense in the league. I'm a biggest Turner supporter as there comes, but I, yeah. uh, I mean, we can, you know, that's pretty impressive. Well, and, and I would I would piggyback kind of on what you're saying to, to tie it back to a point earlier. I know you mentioned the KG podcast, and we touched on earlier the idea around bringing, you know, getting guys to come to Indy. That's always been our problem. I literally think David West is probably our, our, our top free agent signing in franchise history. Correct. And that's not a shot at David West, but there was – 
some injury concern there. It was yes, he was an all star, but it was on the back half of his career. And and to tie this Tyrese talk track into the in season tournament at large, I think that's what this tournament gets me most excited about this tournament is it's provided a platform to say, let's set aside, you know, who what you know, we're gonna set up these national TV games and guess what, Pacers, you're getting none of them. You know, and that's been the narrative forever. And nobody wants to come to Indy because they want to promote their brand. Thank you, yep. Paul George. You know, I mean <laughs> it, it's there's there's always these reasons why players find you know, find a I guess there's always players that find a reason to not want to come to Indy and the in-season tournament created a platform for us to say, or for a, any team to say, or player, you know what, I'm going to force you to pay attention. And now I think there was a stat that came across my Bleacher Report feed that Tyrese had the the largest social media growth of yep. any player, you know, during the in-season tournament. And, and because media is so accessible, I think, it it stands to reason that yeah you could you can be a superstar in Indianapolis particularly if you're winning because you're going to get opportunities like this with the in season tournament playoffs social media presence yeah. Tyrese is getting on all these different po- player podcasts and you don't need to be in L A or in New York or Miami to get on a podcast you know and yeah. to and to be able to br- build some of that brand equity that all these guys you know talk about and I don't blame them they've got a yeah. short window of time. To, to capitalize on their brand. So I get it. But, you know, I'll say one more point on this. Tyrese, in terms of both superstardom and what he's proven about getting national media exposure, but it's also his style of play. For sure. And, and he is so unselfish with how he plays. He's such a pass-first guy, even though he's still averaging 26 points or whatever it is a night. It's You'd be crazy not to think that Okay, in order for my brand to mean something, I have to be a good player. Yeah. So why not go play with somebody that's going to elevate me so that my brand is actually worth something in the you know NBA market or whatever? Um, so I think there's all of that at play here, and I don't. I'm not trying to overplay it, but we don't get these opportunities as a franchise and a fan base very often. So you have to capitalize on them when they do come. Yeah, and one point on that, and even if. Maybe your guy who you know doesn't love to big a build or build a big brand. We see that with Joker right now, who could care less about the NBA media. But if you're just a guy who's basing what you make basically off of what you make in the NBA, your salary, why wouldn't you want to come here? We saw him get Miles Turner got basically sixty million dollars in a renegotiation extension. Yeah. I'm betting you right now, Obi was traded for two second rounders. He's at least looking at a decent contract. I'd imagine he's probably going to be in that ten to twelve million dollar range. Would be my gut feel based on where we're at today. But before that, I mean, he was probably looking at a league minimum, and I think that's a lot to do with how Tyrese plays. I mean, if you look across the board, everybody's having a career year again for the second year. So it's yeah. one of those things where you come here, you can still be you. You're gonna get your shots i mean just look at buddy he is shooting all day long which we want him to do but yeah i just don't know why it's just whether you can find the right guy who wants to come here i know tyrese is out there you know quote unquote recruiting i watched a lot of him in the world cup this year and my favorite thing right now not i mean not that there's any chance because he just signed the same contract but 
Uh, it seems like Tyrese and Anthony Edwards are pretty close. That would be yeah. a dream come true, although the Timberwolves are looking pretty good right They're now. They're top themselves. of the West right yeah. now. Yeah. But it's just, you know, his personality. There was a lot of guys there. Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, you know, those types of guys. Austin Reeves. Those guys who you never know. And today's NBA, we can wake up tomorrow and somebody's unhappy. I mean, it sounds like as of right now, Zach Levine might have already played his last game with the Bulls, I heard today. So yep. you just don't know who's going to be available. Not that I'm saying. I think everybody's unanimous that we don't want Levine on this squad no uh, not that I'm even a Levine hater but just it would make no sense at all uh so yeah I mean there's no reason not to be excited with Tyrese uh we'll see how it all plays out we'll just have to see who puts around him uh I kind of where where were we at other than that well I, I think you know I, I think I'll put one more one more point on that you know t- I guess two things first is yes the the challenge for us now is we still have to go out and win games. That's the that's the crazy part is yep. that all of this stuff, you know, is is great and it has the feeling of a championship atmosphere. And I don't want to spend a ton of time dwelling on it, but we'll touch on it here in a second about the championship game and where we yep. kind of missed, you know, our opportunity there. But the cool thing is we got a, we had a game on Monday. You know, again we're we're talking here on the 14th and we had Pacers back in action opportunity. Twofold, really, and I trap game. Yeah, it was a trap game, and I don't want to talk too much about the Detroit game, but it was interesting to see some of the stuff that other teams were doing, whether it was a zone or it was literally trapping Tyrese and forcing him to pass it to, you know, pass out of the double team or whatever it was. You're, you know, it's it's funny because the teams that go to what I think we will see going forward, the teams that make long runs in this tournament, are going to get scouted. Harder because you're seeing playoff level type defense and mm-hmm. scheming and adjustments and things like that happening in game. I mean, we yeah. were we were off to a hot start against Milwaukee. They played a zone the entire second half mm-hmm. to try and force us. And Bruce Brown was huge. Uh, Andrew yeah. Nemhard was huge. You know, operating in the middle of that zone. Mm-hmm. Miles hit some buckets, which is kind of his sweet spot in the mid range. So it was. I think there's a lot to come of it, but I felt like Detroit was absolutely trying to do some of the stuff the Lakers did to us on Saturday night. And so with that, I think it makes sense to go into the Lakers game. The atmosphere during the championship was completely different than the semifinal, um, which was really cool. And I, I, I really appreciated how fan centric it was. We were able to walk basically up to courtside before the game, take videos of the players, interact with some of the media personality, um, you know, celebrities in the building that night. Lance. Yeah, Lance Stevenson got a little time on the screen. Bobby Flay was on there. I'm a Flav of Flay. Flav of Flay was on there. Floyd. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, which I know you have some history. Maybe we'll touch on that. I think that's, that's worth later. its own episode, yep. uh, perhaps, l- later down the road. So, yeah, it was a completely different atmosphere. Definitely felt like a championship game. Um, and one that, that frankly, um, you know, aside, first play, Tyrese throws a pass to the corner. Buddy Hill knocks down a three. They come down and score. I think we were up five to two. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and then it was the Lakers were in control. Um, I never felt like we were playing at our speed nope. or dictating the game in any way, shape, or form. Um, we we got pretty bullied and we played their game, not ours. Yeah, you kind of hit it. Uh, it should have been our radar, like you said. We got we were basically standing down, kind of you know, basically courtside for about 15, 20 minutes down there before the game, and Rui Hachimura just comes walking by us, and 
you know, the TV just won't do it justice. That dude is fucking huge. Yeah. And then comes in AD, and then comes LeBron, and then they're going to run Austin Reeves, who's a six 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 eight. I don't know exactly what yeah. he's at. Cam Gar- Reddish, yeah. Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah. And all these guys, and then you're looking around, it's like, all right, we're rolling Neesmith, Buddy Brown, and Tyrese is going to be, you know. McConnell. <laughs> McConnell, yeah, exactly. So it was just one of those things. We know it. It's no secret. Woj dropped a Woj bomb, even though I don't really think it's even news at this point that we're working Looking for a two-way uh, wing, clearly. I mean, that is uh, the obvious hole if you could point at one thing on our team. And it would have helped in a game like this, but, I mean, you got to credit the Lakers. They were blitzing Tyrese, and, you know, when you blitz Tyrese, he's going to make the right read, but it's one of those days we were not shooting particularly well. So even when we were reading it right at that point, which they created a lot of chaos with that, you yeah. know, we'd kick to Miles, and we can kind of hit on him, who struggled badly in this game. Well. You know, with Miles, it's interesting, and I'm not trying to pick on him, but he got into foul trouble early, and, and I feel like that has a has a tendency to derail him, particularly from a physicality standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you, you know, and again, I'm not picking on him, but you know when Miles is rattled when he when he when he second guesses his shot, he's yep. got an open look in the corner, that corner three that we know he can hit, and I saw him do it one or two times in that game, and I just thought he's not there. Yep. You know, and and it was it, and it wasn't just Miles. I mean, no. guys were missing shots. I think we I don't have the box score in front of me. We shot less than twenty five percent from three. I know that we got out rebounded like fifty five to thirty two. Don't quote me on it. It's somewhere in that neighborhood, um, and and. We were just disrupted. The, yep. the Tyrese was fine out of the trap. I don't mm-hmm. think he had a ton of turnovers. No, it wasn't like Vic when LeBron blitzed him back in the day. Yeah, it, it, what you're right. That's a good comparison because it was not like that. But it was once we got the ball to the middle and and their defense was recovering. You know, basically that second trapper coming off of Ty, we just could not figure out what we wanted to do. And we and it wasn't always Miles that was there. No. We were running different guys off of screens and things, you know, at that high high at ball action. And then, you know, if you don't if you're a if you're a three point shooting team and you don't make them pay for for trapping it up top and double teaming, you're gonna have a long night. And we did. We didn't we didn't get a lot of points in transition. Um they were owning the glass. I mean AD goes 41-20 with five blocks. It was, you know, it 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 was really just a tough night from the jump. The the interesting thing, and we kept saying this while we were there, as bad as we were playing, I was amazed how long we kept it close. Yeah. Um it definitely felt like one of those games where we were hitting shots just to stay in it, waiting for them to make the run. We kept saying in the game, all right, we gotta do something, and it never really felt like we strung two or three great possessions together with stops, and it always just kind of felt like, all right. It was even in the fourth when we cut it down. I think it was like 95, 92 or something at one point. Yeah. It was just like that was kind of the first time we kind of felt it, and then they hit their big run to end the fourth. And so it was just kind of one of those games, you know, where we're trying, and I pulled up the box score, and as you were kind of mentioned, we were 10 of 41 from deep. Not that the three ball says it all, but if we hit a lot of threes, I bet you we win most of those games. So yeah. it's one of those things where and, – and they took us out of the rhythm, and – I mean, I think AD had 20 boards and we had 32. So, I mean, AD yeah. was basically, and I would imagine a ton of those were offensive. Uh, let's see, only five, actually. That surprised me. But yeah, either but way. Still, I mean, yeah. we probably didn't have but 10 or 12 offensive boards as a team, would be my guess. So, it, yeah, it was, we did cut it close. I, it was, I think it was, I looked at this before we jumped on. It was like the 6 11 mark. Yeah. We cut it to three, and it was a Miles Turner three, and you kind of felt like, 
oh my goodness, you know, we've hung around. If we Could can we hit, backdoor into yeah, this if, if, Right. Have we hung around long enough to where we can we can go on a run? Mm-hmm. And Miles hits the three, and they come right back down, and Reddish hits a corner three yep. to go back up six. And that, that corner three from Cam Reddish took them on a 13-0 run. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't score for the next three, three and a half minutes. And by that time... You know, it was, you know, L.A. was all but etched on the first NBA Cup. You know, there was just not enough time, and and we were out of sorts. So, um, brutal. No. Brutal for me. (laughs) Yeah, uh, emotionally, I, I mean, you remember, I left the building with about, uh, probably about a minute left on the clock. I, I can't stomach LeBron, so did not want to be in the building to watch him, but credit to him when he turns it on, and he did. He clearly wanted to win that thing, and... When he wants to win, he seems to find a way to always beat us. So it was it was a tough game uh, in the moment. Uh, I got to sulk in the hotel room a little bit after. But now that we've had a little time to digest, I mean, the overall experience, I mean, we just kept looking at each other and saying, this is so much fun. Yeah. I mean, it's such a different thing. Just as a basketball fan, it was the first game I'd ever got to go to that wasn't in the field house. So it yep. was totally new. Just, I mean, and to be with all the celebs and the energy and – I mean, just you know, Vegas's energy alone—it was—it uh, was awesome. Even though we didn't get the cherry on top. Yeah, it, I, I echo that 100%. I mean, for for anybody listening to this, and the reason that we're spending time talking about this is, it's worth an experience. If you're an NBA fan, whether whether the Pacers make it there again or or never again, um, it's worth checking out. It was an elevated atmosphere. I thought Vegas—it's the perfect host city. I mean, it really is. Where T-Mobile Arena is located is sort of right. In between New York, New York, and Park MGM, and the whole Aria complex, so there's there's trams, you know, free monorails that run right up into that area. So you can stay at 15 different properties, is my guess, and access the arena without having to walk or Uber or whatever. Um, you know, it was it, it was really well done. They had NBA personalities there. The pacemates were there. The Lakers dancers were there. Boomer was on the floor. So they they brought some ties back into you know uh, to to the to the fan base, the the local fan base that made the the trip out there, which I thought was really cool as well. Um, and you, you know. I think, and I heard this um, again. Uh, one of the local guys here in Indianapolis, I think it was Kevin Bowen, may have said, "You know, how do you, how do you, as a franchise, Pacers or any other NBA team, how do you get your fans out there? Do you make it? Do you, you know, if do you make it part of the season ticket package? I think was his recommendation. Okay. I just want to get your yeah. thoughts, Ryan, on you know what does that look like in your mind? Because I think you and I are in agreement, and you mentioned this earlier. Every Pacers fan we saw, it was like. It was like seeing family yep. out there, and and I think particularly LA is a different story because it's four hours away. Everybody's an LA fan in Vegas, or a you know a New York fan, or whatever, because yep. it's kind of a melting pot. Mm-hmm. But for some of the smaller market teams that will inevitably make the Final Four, you know, how do you get their fan base there? I think yeah. we were lucky, and you know, kind of based on some of your betting, <laughs> able to make it out there, but but. You'd love to see more hometown fans get out there. So, do you, I mean, you think you build it into a season ticket package? Do you do you offer some sort of opt in? You know, and if then they, yeah, win. 
I think one thing, and I think the league will even look at this, is the timing of the games. I think it's just really hard. And I mean, we kind of had it lucky. Our game was Monday night. We talked to some Bucks fans. Their game was Tuesday night. Yeah, so that's right. It's one of those things where it's hard. Like you don't want to if you're going there for the Pacers, let's say, and you're not just going for the NBA experience. Which if you're just an NBA fan, I think it's worth it. But if you're going and you wanted to know, I think maybe there's a way that they play the games in early November and then give us like a week, even just a little yeah. bit of time, so you can. Because I just think, I mean, for most people, it's hard to just uproot and go to Vegas on a yep. whim. And so if they could do something like that timing-wise, that'd be awesome. Although I think you're on to something with the, you know, if you had a season ticket package or opt-in. I mean, I was telling, I think uh, a bet I'll place every year now is for us to make that uh, knockout round so I can double down and always just kind of have that in the back pocket so that if we win, I know I've got the money to go. Yeah, I, I think it's smart. I mean, it's you got to figure out how to do it. The NBA or the individual franchises have to figure out how to make it more accessible. I think I like what you said because that not again. All this is, it's made up. I mean, they just made yeah. this up. So yeah. it's not like any of this is set in stone. That knockout week, instead of having games on Monday and Tuesday, just do it a Tuesday, Thursday, and then have the tournament the following weekend. Because, and I know it's a scheduling nightmare, I'm sure. They're trying to they're trying to line this all up so that everybody plays the right number of games and you've got TV coverage on certain nights. And, you know, that, that Friday night that wasn't in the in-season tournament, Felt like everybody in the league played. We were sitting there at the hotel watching, I don't know, 10 different games going on. So yeah. I know that there are people much smarter than me that would have to go in and figure that out. But I do agree. Yeah, like you're a Bucks fan. You win on Tuesday. You got a game on Thursday in yeah. Vegas. I mean, who's going to be able to drop that ball mm-hmm. and and jump, you know, on it? You know, it's... That's a tough ask for a, for a fan base. So I think those are all things that the league will hopefully take into consideration and start to work through. And, you know, I can tell you, I, I mean, I bought a 10 pack this year for, for our parents to Mm -hmm. go to games because they always took us to, they had season tickets for years and took us. And I would have absolutely paid an extra 200 bucks for a, Hey, here's an opt-in or mm-hmm. something, yeah. you know, to that, so that at least it was on my radar. Maybe there's some travel packages offered or what have yeah. you. So, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, yeah, I think you know the one thing you know to kind of put a bow on the basketball deal. And you mentioned this, you know, obviously we got exposed size, length, physicality, yeah. um, looking for the two-way wing. I just want to touch on that briefly because I think it's almost a catch twenty-two, and we talked about this a little bit before coming on the other day. Hold up, Brad, we've got ours. We just signed him today. Oh yeah, James Johnson's. <laughs> That's back. right, James Johnson's back. I love the timing. Right after the kerfuffle in the hallway at the Bucks game, we we signed James Johnson. I saw somebody posted on uh, Twitter that he they did a survey a couple years ago in the NBA of players who you would least want to fight yeah and he garnered like 40 percent of the vote he was the number one ranked player so um, timing is a little interesting uh, but I don't mind it at all we play the bucks here in another couple of weeks so yeah um, but but I think you know the the, the catch 22 that I'm referring to and just want to get your thoughts is Yes, we need a little bit more size. I love Obi Toppin. I love what he brings offensively. There's no doubt about it, but he is a high flyer. He's somebody that gets out in transition, runs his three-point shot. Well, I, I don't know what he's shooting this year, 33 34%. He's inching up. He's at 35 now. Is he? Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's that's fine, yep. I mean, for, oh, yeah. for what he no. brings. But we're, we're getting exposed defensively, and, and he just, for as athletic as he is Slow-footed. vertically— 
He's slow footed. He 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 cannot stay in front of even you know Giannis just goes right by him. Yeah. gets in foul trouble. You know, et cetera. So the the challenge for us is that is is twofold. A the rest of the league is looking for the same player. And nobody's and, giving him up. And and if and if they're not, it's because they already have one. Yeah. Exactly. They already have the Brandon Ingram or the, you know, insert who whoever yeah. it is, Michael Porter Jr. The, the Edwards, they're all those. Yeah. Right. The the guys, they're so coveted that you're gonna have you're gonna be hard pressed to get a lot of movement from teams. We have a unique scenario where the Raptors have kind of just found this mediocrity where their players are aging. They're not really winning games. And you've got guys like Siakam and OG that, that are at least by, you know, Shams reported somewhat available. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think that's almost as good as it gets for us. I don't want to sell us short, but I think if you're able to land one of those two, the the challenge I see is Siakam shooting like twenty percent from three this year. Yeah, um, and that's not even though he's a career thirty plus, mm-hmm. that's just not going to work in our system. I don't care. I, I just yeah. he's got to that that can't happen. And the timeline is a little. He's more on the buddy age yeah. spectrum timeline, if you will. So I think OG's probably more of a you know. Yeah. Probably a better fit. I don't know how he, you know, I don't know. I just don't know how many guys are out there. So unless you're going to draft somebody, and God love him, Jairus Walker is kind of who we drafted to fill that role. He's in theory, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But he's raw. I mean, you saw it, and again, we're, we're bouncing yeah. ahead here. You saw it last night when we played Milwaukee, and we put in Walker at the end. I mean, he he had four fouls, I think. Immediately. Now, he's yeah. guarding Giannis, which I couldn't imagine a worse player to try to come in and immediately guard. But yeah, Correct. But in theory, Jarris is supposed to be that guy. He's the guy who, you know, you can put next to Miles with the size. Who kind of That's where Miles, obviously, is kind of his weak point, can guard the, the Tatums, the Browns, the LeBrons, the Giannis's, all those guys, which we just, I mean... We love Neesmith. He's got a lot of size, but he's 6'6". It, yeah. it's, it, it, you can't teach height. So nope. it's, you know, it's one of those things. And, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can – it's really great to be like, oh, we just got to go make the right deal. But it's, you know, we heard last year OG Ananobi's, you know, quote-unquote asking price was three first-rounders. It's like, are we ready to make the all-in move? Siakam's 29 and is probably going to try to get a $250 million year because uh, he's a free agent coming up this offseason. So are you ready – just, you know, give him that money. He's on the timeline. You know, it's it's kind of tough between, you know, I think we're a little earlier in this rebuild than to be expected even coming yeah. into this year just based on how good Tyrese really is. Yeah. And so you kind of want to capitalize. But, you know, there's a lot of questions. How much do you give up? If Jairus is the guy, do you really want to go all in on another wing? Because then you're just kind of blocking his Putting spot, him on yeah. the back burner. Which yeah. we've seen when we, you know, the Goga Batadze theory when you just don't have minutes even though. Yeah. Well, and, and we got a little bit of that going on. I don't know. This is just total sidebar, but I was really impressed with Ben Shepard's minutes yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's bigger than I thought he was. I, I saw him guarding Dame at the end of the game because kudos to our second unit. They had to bring in, you know, starters and, you know, whatever. We we had a chance. Shepard actually blew a layup to, to cut it to single digits. But that, I'm, I'm only bringing that up in the context of we're very deep. We've yep. got the best bench in the league. We know that statistically, at least, and I think that's a, a pretty general consensus, um, you know, amongst NBA followers. But we still, I don't think anybody believes we have a championship roster. No, so, yeah. so what, you know, how do you how do you continue to let the rebuild evolve somewhat organically? Um, 
but but you've got to capitalize on some of this momentum too, and yeah. and, and that's the challenge for Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan. That's that's I don't want to say it's near impossible, but that's why they're getting paid what they are, and that's why we're not. So good luck to them. We we got to figure that out though. Um, so anyways, I know we kind of probably want to bring this in for a landing on the in season tournament. Um, I don't know if you've got any closing thoughts uh, or questions or, or something you kind of want to wrap this up with, but. Um, I've got one thought uh, just on the in-season, kind of the charades of it all. The yeah. courts, I think, are cool until you are watching multiple games at once. There were multiple times where I had a couple TVs running with the Pacers and then the Sixers. And if you remember, the Sixers court is bright red. It is hard to watch two neon games <laughs> at once. Your eyes, especially when it's different colors, bouncing from one TV to the other, does give you a little bit of a headache, but I don't even care. The jerseys, all that, it, it was all fun. It made you feel different, even though I thought it was a little weird that they introduced the city courts and the new courts, If you, because we've got two new courts. I was going to say, we have three courts now if you're a Pacers fan, and th- yeah, they're all fine. I mean, they're all great, but yeah, it was, it was a little confusing, I'll say that, because it was city edition uniform, city court, IST court, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think overall, like I, I kind of close with a similar sentiment. I think it was, I think it was extremely well done. I'm glad that they tried this. I, yeah. I will tell you going into it, I was not, I don't want to say I was skeptical, but I was just kind of like, eh, we'll see. You know, I, yeah. I was not as excited certainly as I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest set everything else aside, all the media, the courts, the bullshit, the coolest thing for me is that the players bought in yep. and and you could tell that it meant something. I'm not even sure they knew what it meant, but they knew it was different and they played like it was different. Yep. And I think the NBA is go I think now the the bar has been set that this is different, that this matters, that this is something that you want to get up for and mm-hmm. something you want to win. And so I think that bodes really well for this tournament going forward. Um, and and the impact that it can have on the league. The the only other downside, you know, and this is just the nature of the league is you're opening the door to injuries and things like yeah. that. Thankfully, we didn't see a ton of that this year. Mm-hmm. But anytime guys, you know, get these playoff like atmospheres, you know, and the only reason I bring that up is because I thought Andrew Nemhard blew his entire knee out, Looked just like Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, I thought he was done. I thought he was done. Thank, thank God. It, it sounds like that's not the case. It was a hyperextension, but. Um, yeah, I mean, what else? Anything else you want to touch on? No, I think you've hit it. You know, one thing to credit is I think a lot of the star players like Tyrese, Tatum, Giannis, LeBron really cared, which in turn made everybody else care because that's yeah. kind of one of the things yep, with point. the regular season is we don't care because you watch James Harden's fat ass out there and why would you care at times? So it's it's one of those things where when they cared, we got into it. I mean, we had a blast watching it. Uh, and, you know, I think it's one of those things where players next year even will probably be more motivated watching how much fun you know the Pacers had, the Bucks had, the yep. Lakers had. Why wouldn't you want to go out there and be a part of that? It you know it's a cool experience to be out in Vegas. So I think that's so. I'll leave you with one question, maybe Brad. Yeah. Where do you think the Pacers grew the most from just the in-season tournament experience? Yeah, I, I think if if one thing sticks out to me, it's that we have shown that we can defend at least situationally yep. enough to over. I mean, listen, we all we know. We have the number one pace in the league. 
Teams are going to get more possessions against us, and they're going to score more points against us because of the possessions and pace at which we play. Yep. But you have to have good situational defense in big games, in playoff games. You have to be able to get those stops in order to to close out tight tight games where everybody is at a level 10. Yep. And, and so I felt like the Boston and Milwaukee game proved to us that we could do that, particularly against some of the best teams and some of the best individual players, whether you're talking, you know, Tatum and Brown or Giannis and, and uh, Lillard. We were outmatched phys- physically and from a physicality perspective. The Lakers were a bad matchup for us. Yeah. As much as you and I talked about, we want LeBron. We want LeBron because it's LeBron. I can't stand LeBron, and he's beat us uh, with wearing five different jerseys <laughs> and over the span of 15 years. I mean, you know, but it was just a bad matchup. But I think our biggest takeaway has to be that we have really strong individual defenders. We've we've shown a propensity to be able to communicate. Aaron Neesmith, I think, was the second rising star behind Halliburton. I mean, Halliburton stole the shine, but Neesmith, to me, and the fact that we locked him in for $11 million a year for the next three years. Awesome deal. The guy's shooting 40% plus from three. He's a lockdown defender. I thought, you know, LeBron gave him a little bit of trouble, but that's a pretty big size mismatch. I thought he did great on, you know, when he got, he can switch on to Lillard or Giannis or Tatum or Brown or whatever. So yeah. What about you? I mean, that's, that's kind of, for me, it's defense. So we, yeah. we've, we're never going to be, we just got to be like 20th, not 29th, you know, in order for us to get where we want to go. So what about you? What's your takeaway coming out of this, ter- this tournament? It, it's kind of on the same boat. I think it was just nice to prove we can beat the top teams in the East specifically in a, stylistic game like the playoffs kind of what i alluded to early where it's a slower pace game more defensive emphasis just on that range so it was cool to see we could take with them we can hang with them we could change our game we could still be an offensive a little bit slower team obviously we want to run that's where we make our runs but even in the half court offense i still think tyrese was picking people apart his his shifty drag feet never set feet step back yeah. is it's unguardable shot because you don't even know when he's going to take it but yeah, it's so awkward yeah in a good way oh yeah it's fantastic and thank god i mean that's why he fell in the draft but it's it is it was cool to see that against the top teams in the league where you know they kept talking about the playoff atmosphere which it did definitely at least in gamebridge that first game we were at definitely felt that but yeah. i was even more curious just to see us in that style of game because <laughs> you know i think it's no secret we we have playoff expectations this year. I think one goal probably is to get six seed or above and avoid the play-in. We'll see. We're kind of right in that mix with yeah. a couple other teams, but it was uh, it was a good showing to beat all the top guys. Celtics first overall in the East. Bucks third overall. Mm-hmm. Sixers fourth overall. I think we're fifth. Knicks are in there. Cavs and Hawks are right up there. So we beat. I know we didn't play the Knicks, but. Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, Hawks, all in playoff type games. Yep. You have to feel really good about that. And and so that's that's my takeaway. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, you know, we'll see where the rest of the season goes. We're right back into regular season action. We're on a road trip. We got to take care of business, you know, in Washington on Friday. Some interesting news coming out of there um, about relocation of the team and things like that. Still somewhat local, but out of DC. Dive into all that. But this was awesome. It was a phenomenal experience as a Pacers fan, as an NBA fan, and appreciate you guys listening.